0: Hey, what's going on guys? It's Michael from The Honest Youth Pastor back again with another sermon review. Today, we are going to be looking at Sandals Church. Uh, We did a poll not too long ago on the Instagram stories, and uh, the poll is of no consequence. But uh, when we were talking about it, a lot of people were bringing up that uh, a lot of the stories we were posting in regards to the poll we took, uh, reminded them of Sandals Church. I had no clue what Sandals Church was, but we got a, a good number of uh, replies back saying, yeah, that sounds like Sandals Church, or yeah, I you know, experienced that at Sandals too. So I thought, well, let's look up Sandals Church and let's see what's going on. So today we're going to be looking at the latest message from Sandals Church came uh out or it was uploaded rather november 15th and the sermon title is called seeing both sides of the situation so we're gonna look at this and i'm not gonna really tell you too much about it um before we get into it we're not gonna get through the whole sermon the sermon is 42 minutes Um, you can if you want to watch the whole thing after we kind of get done here or if you want to watch the whole thing before you watch the sermon review you can the link will be in the description below we're going to be looking at this uh, sermon today, and in case you're new to the sermon reviews, let me explain just a little bit about what, why we do them and what they are. Sermon reviews are, uh, each week we sit down and we take a variety of different people, a variety of different churches, some of them suggested to us, uh, some of them that I'm just interested in looking at, and we go through the sermon, breaking it down, seeing you know how they use Scripture, do they use Scripture, when they do use Scripture... Uh, is it is it done from a cultural context? Uh, understanding the word usage, understanding what's actually happening, exegeting the text, which just means bringing the truth out of the text. for as far as who was written to and why it was written, and the kind of literature it is, and then taking all of that and then bringing it to a point where we say, well, as a modern day believer, what is the application now for us for the truth of Scripture that's been preached, regardless of where it comes from in Scripture? We can learn from it as modern day believers and uh, learn about who God is and learn about how it affects our lives and how we should be living as followers of Jesus now. So with that being said, that's what we're looking at. So these are done uh, for educational purposes, for kind of learning to hopefully give you some tools to help discern when you're listening to a message, a variety of different messages, you know, what's good, what's bad, what's a red flag, what's something that's very helpful. It's not to look at any of these pastors we're looking at and say, hey, they're a great pastor, or they're a terrible pastor. Uh, It's really to say, hey, what are they doing that we should listen for elsewhere that's good or bad? And then hopefully I do a good enough uh, job of kind of explaining through what's happening. So let's go ahead and start this sermon. It was, again, from Sandals Church. The link will be in the description below. Sermon entitled, Seeing Both Sides of the City. Hey, guys. Welcome
1: to Sandals Church. Super excited you are here today. I'm going to do the best I can today. I just told the audience watching that last night I ate something with some weed in it. I meant wheat. So, and
0: they all thought it was funny, apparently a lot of pot smokers. So one thing that is going to show you here that isn't really talked about too much until we get into the sermon, but it's the title on the side. It says, Understanding the Enneagram from a Grace-Filled Biblical Perspective. Now, uh, apparently this church has been going through the Enneagram for a while. We're on week, I guess the last week he's going to talk to us. I guess we're on Enneagram 9. Uh, And I, I want you to just keep that in mind as we're going through this sermon, keeping in mind what we're talking about. So apparently he's went through all the Enneagram numbers up till this one, and today he's on nine. Uh, But their sermon series is understanding the Enneagram from a grace-filled biblical perspective. So that's going to play a huge part in what we're looking at and what he's going to say specifically today. In here today during the recording,
1: but I meant wheat wheat like in your sandwich bread. Uh, So I'm just having a little allergies today, but I'm gonna do the best I can. I'm all Zyrtec'd up and ready to go. So we're in a series called You, and this is our last week. I know, it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad, except for the haters, they're like, yeah, I've been praying this was over. But (laughs) that's okay, we love you too, and so does Jesus. I mean, he loves you, I'm praying about it. But anyways, (laughs) I'm glad you're here today. And so we're in a series called You, and today we're gonna talk about the nine. The nine, the peacemaker, you know, and so if you're a peacemaker, we love you. That's why I'm wearing a sweatshirt because you're so chill. You know, some of you are watching from home. You got your, you know, your popcorn and you're just chilling and watching. And God made you that way. And we're so excited. Hopefully one day you'll serve at church. But until then, (laughs) we're glad you're here today and we love you. So we're going to talk today about the person that our entire faith starts with.
0: Okay. So one of the things that we need to look at just, I think, from the beginning is And we've looked at this in different sermon reviews as well. Like, how does the pastor start their sermon? Uh, Is it through story? Is it through scripture? What's it based on? What's the point? Like, why why are we here today in this church worshiping and fellowshipping together? Um, It appears, and I haven't watched any other sermon from, I think the guy's name was Matt or from Sandals Church. But this particular sermon, and I would assume every sermon up to this point, has been built on and based on and founded on Enneagram Numbers. Uh, and then what we're going to see him do is kind of, we're not going to get all the way through it, but you're going to see him kind of work through that number using scripture. My, my red flag immediately when I watched this the first time was like, okay, well, like what's the foundation that is, is it scripture? And then we're going to look at the Enneagram through scripture. But what it seems like what we're doing here is we're actually saying, okay, here's the Enneagram and here's some scripture to go along with it. And that may not seem like a big deal to some people. And maybe it's not a big deal to you, but I do want you to think about it. Like the foundation of what we're doing, why are we doing it? Let me put it maybe in a way that is is easier to understand. Everything we do should be founded and anchored and built upon the word of God, which means we're going to just work through the scriptures. And as things come up, as we're working through scripture, then we're going to talk about them. Why? Because scripture brought it up. We don't have to bring it up and then try to fit scripture into it. Scripture did it itself. Scripture, God's word has brought up something that we need to talk about. Now, what you're going to find is as you work through books of the Bible, as you work through narratives in the Old Testament or, or letters in the New Testament, uh, you're, you're going to see that they address the issues and topics that are that are part of our life, everyday lives. They, they just are. And as we come up upon them in these letters, we're able to address those while being founded and grounded in the word. Things start getting really twisted. And this is why I just like automatically listen to this. I'm already like, we're not even a minute in. And I'm like, ah, because what it sounds like we're doing and what I want us to listen to through the rest of the sermon is like, what, what's the base of this then? Like, what's the foundation that this sermon is built on? Um, And that's what we need to pay attention to. Like, we need to have that in the back of our mind. What scripture are we talking about here? So think about this guy, Abraham. The nation of Islam,
1: Israel, and Christianity all point back to this one guy named Abraham. And this is where our whole understanding of who God is, of who you are, of what we're called to do comes from. And listen to me, nines. These great religions are all based upon a nine. So when God started, his religion. When God started to call humanity, he picked a nine. And so if you're a nine today and you're like, yeah,
0: I don't think like God. Here's the other thing. So he names Judaism, Christianity, and Islam as the three quote great religions. And then he says when God started, when God decided to start his religion, he picked a nine. So one, he's kind of putting all of them on par. Two, he's also, um, He's not defining like which, which, which one Judaism, Christianity Islam. I think we can assume, right? We can assume it's Christianity because this is a Christian church, but sometimes we need to say things like sometimes we don't need to leave things ambiguous out there. Uh, We need to take a stand on some stuff. And I wouldn't think that Matt would say that, you know, Islam or Judaism is, you know, that's not what his church is founded on, but I'm just saying words matter. God has a a big plan for me.
1: You need to really ask yourself, then why, when it all started, did he pick a nine? So we're going to just talk about Abraham today in Genesis 18. And I think this is the best picture. Of when Abraham is at his best trying to negotiate peace between God and Sodom and Gomorrah so if you didn't grow up in church Sodom and Gomorrah are famous for all the wrong reasons right it was like the ancient world's Vegas but it went even more Vegas than Vegas and so God destroyed it and if you're watching from Vegas today we love you and we're praying for you and we pray that Abraham would negotiate peace between you and Vegas amen okay so Genesis 18 verses 20 through 33
0: Okay, so he's going to read that and he's going to go through it, which is great. <clears throat> I don't know if you see this as problematic or not. Like this is just like there's a thousand bells going off in my head right now in which you're, you're overlaying something more modern. Even if you're going back to the Genesis of the Enneagram, you're laying something much more modern on top of Scripture, specifically Abraham. Like saying, well, this dude's definitely a whatever number. He's saying he's a nine, but he's like, you know what I'm saying? So instead of saying, here's scripture, here, let's talk. So if we're going to use Genesis chapter 18, fine, let's use Genesis chapter 18. Let's see, as he reads this, then, what are we looking for? Well, anytime a pastor reads scripture, what we're looking for is cultural context, word usage, Appropriate application, like to what's going on, like what's going on in the area, what's going on in history. How does this fit in the overarching narrative of what God is doing in human history? Like those are the things we're looking for. Like what is happening here? Now he's already started off with the idea that Abraham is sort of negotiating peace between God and Sodom and Gomorrah, which I think is a faulty premise from the beginning in understanding what's happening here. But let's hear him out. So I know I've interrupted like a bazillion times already. So I'm going to let him talk for quite a while as he reads through and explains this, and then we'll stop it.
1: So the Lord told Abraham, listen to me today, God speaks. And I pray that you would hear God speak to you. He said, I've heard a great outcry. Any of you ever feel like God doesn't hear your prayers? God doesn't hear your thoughts? God doesn't care about your life? Let me tell you something, God does. He hears you and he knows what's happening in your life. He says, I've heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah. Now their outcry isn't prayers, their outcry is sin because their sin is so flagrant, okay? The Hebrew word for smell, you're gonna love it, reek. (laughs) <laughs> Reek, it reeked, okay? It was reeking and God smelled it. He said, I'm gonna go down there and see if their actions are as wicked as I, have, as I have heard. You see, even God doesn't always trust the news, amen? A Little too political, everybody's like, oh, I'm uncomfortable, it's gonna be okay. But God says, I wanna go down and I wanna see for myself what's happening. And so the other men turned and headed towards Sodom. But the Lord remained with Abraham. And here's one of the most amazing conversations between God and a human being almost ever in the entire history of the world. And Abraham approached him. And this is the thing I want you to know, man. If you feel far from God, God is always approachable. And we find that perfectly in Jesus. Some of you, you haven't been to church. Man, I, I went to pick up some food this week uh, and, and, and we were getting ready for my daughter's wedding and so I went to pick up some food and, and the waitress, when she saw me, when I came in to pick up our food, she just started crying. And she said, oh my God, which that's not me, <laughs> but I represent him. She said, I haven't been to church since COVID started. She said, I've fallen away from God. I've been in an abusive relationship. My life is a mess. I got in a car accident. She's like, my dog died. And she said, I just feel like you're here today for a reason. I was like, yeah, to get some food. <laughs> and she said, she said, I, no, I feel like you're here to bring me back. And she said, I just feel like this is an appointment from God. Maybe today is an appointment from God and God's gonna borrow me to reach you. And so right there in the restaurant, we prayed together in front of an entirely packed restaurant, we prayed together because she asked me to pray. She said, will you pray with me? I said, absolutely. And I just want you to know that God is approachable and you don't need me to connect with God. All you need is God and he wants to connect with you today. And so Abraham says, God, will you sweep away both the righteous and the
0: wicked? You see, this is one of the questions we have to ask ourselves as believers. Okay, I will stop him real quick because he's about to get into another point I want to talk about. So I don't know if you picked it up, if you noticed, but if not, we'll kind of we're not going to rewind the video, but kind of think back as he's going through this scripture, he's continually stopping and being like, "Do you ever feel like that? You know, have you ever felt far from God? Is this you know you don't feel approachable?" Um, in doing so, we're missing what's what's happening here. So Sodom and Gomorrah are incredibly sinful cities. Now, throughout the uh, throughout the Old Testament and even into the New, we have hints about what was happening and what they were doing and why it was so wrong. And I mean, there's a variety of different things that happen. And if he's not going to read it, but if we were to read the actual text. Uh, what you would see is that they go in and you know the whole story about the men of the city wanting to uh, to, to get with the angels and Lot offering up his, his daughters. And it's a whole mess. It's a whole thing. So I would say that that's clearly not the only sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. They're just, that's like, here's another bad thing that's going on there. The point is that the author here is trying to set up that Sodom and Gomorrah are, are so evil that, that God is going to go destroy them. And he's talking to Abraham and Abraham's about to say, Hey, what if there's 50 righteous people? What if there's 40, 30? Like he's going to, he, 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 the author here is showing that even Abraham knows, even Abraham knows that Sodom and Gomorrah is a wicked, horrible city. So the tone is set that Sodom and Gomorrah are terrible places. That God, as a holy God that's already been set up all the way from before this point in scripture, is in full right to destroy them without even asking a question, without even sending anybody. He can just do it. But he's going to Abraham, which again, this is really important. Like he has made a covenant with Abraham. He has he has chosen him out of out of a lot of the same. Uh, uh tribes and sins that sodom and gomorrah would be guilty of and he's picked him out and he's chosen him and he's made him his own and he's made a covenant with him and so we have this story set up here where sodom and gomorrah are totally wicked god's coming to the one that he's made a covenant with and he's going to destroy sodom and gomorrah and though Though Matt, I think, is his name here. Matt is setting up like, well, Abraham's negotiating with him. It's really this, this realization that there's not anything that this the story is being set up that there's nothing that's going to save Sodom and because there, there aren't any righteous people there. So we have this real dichotomy of of just depravity and evil versus holiness, the holiness of God. So let's let's keep going. Because he has another point here that I want to talk about that I think is really important. Is God good? I mean, sometimes you feel like God is
1: challenging you to take away something you believe that is good in your life. And so you wrestle with, God, are you really good? Because I think this is good for me. And that's the tension, right? Is God really good? Has he outlawed something that I think is good? And,
0: and what does that say about God? And so Abraham says, look. So here's here's the interesting thing. And I, I know that I, I am just going at him here, but there's so many things that I think we need to be, we need to listen for here. So the question is, is God good? Now, what we could do is we could literally spend the entire sermon on these verses explaining God's holiness versus human depravity. Like we could do that all day, but it's interesting that he sets up the question is, is God good? And what does that say about God rather than God is good? What does that say about us? The framing of the question is very interesting because it automatically assumes, and I don't think, I, he may or may not believe this, but it, it seems to automatically assume that we're right. Like, we, we've got to figure out God. Not that God is already good, he's already sovereign, and we're in the wrong. But the question is framed is, what does it say about God? Let's keep going. You're going to judge all of Sodom.
1: You're going to judge all of Gomorrah. And let's, let's talk about it. He's going to kill everybody. Men, women, and children. But think about that. Even on the Titanic, you know, women and children got off, amen? God's like, nope, them too. Even the kids, they're honoring. they gotta go. This is, this is doomsday. Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there. Now we don't know how large the city was, but theologians speculate around 100,000 people. So are there 50 good people? Will you sweep it away and not spare the rest for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do all that. Surely you would not judge all of the earth that is doing what is right. And the Lord replied, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, listen to this, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Man, isn't that good to know? I know some of you are deeply concerned about America. Look, we just need 50. (laughs) We just need 50.
0: So sign up. Be one of the 50. So, all right. So again, we have this real opportunity here to, to, to utilize this beautiful picture that we're being painted here in scripture of Abraham wrestling with the reality that Lot is in Sodom and Gomorrah and he knows it, which is why he's asking this question, if it will be spared. And we have this wicked city and a holy God And what's going to, how does that play out? And we have the opportunity here to really address some deep things, right? Sin, depravity, humanity, God's holiness, God's mercy, God's love. We can play all of that out here and really flesh it out. And we can actually even use that as an applicable sense to what he's doing here, which is where he says, hey, some of you guys are worried about America. All we need is 50 and kind of plays it off as a joke. But what we're looking at here is the reality of what he kind of played off about, you know, the women and children and men, you know, the children and are they got to go. Like he's really downplaying the weight and heaviness of the sin that is in Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the fact that like, are you like, that's a heavy, but real question that people have. How are we going to address the reality that there are kids there? And then kind of walk that out with sin and justice and like, The real weight of the reality of that. And then coming to applicability as far as us now, like the reality that we're not righteous. Like we need Christ's righteousness. We could tie that into the New Testament if you wanted to, but like there's so many opportunities here to really get down in the nitty gritty and talk about some really deep theology, deep questions that people have. But what you're going to see here in a minute, we're just, we're just going to leave that. We're just going to, we're going to go on to the Enneagram. And keep us from the judgment of
1: God. 50 people to speak truth to power. 50 people to speak righteousness to sin. 50 people, how about this, just to actually live it out. You see, some of you are righteous on Facebook, but you're not actually righteous in your own life. Like, you can tweet it, but you can't live it, amen? God wants people to actually live it. And so God says, I will spare the entire city for their sake. And then apparently Abraham knows a little something about Sodom. He says, well, since we've begun this conversation, Lord, let me speak a little further to you. So if you're raising a nine and there's an answer, just know the negotiation has just begun. Even though I am but dust and ashes, suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. And Abraham, he pressed a little further. So he's like, yeah, my kid is a nine. Definitely,
0: definitely a nine. Do you see how he's having to force this Enneagram thing onto the text because it's not there? Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it
1: for the sake of 40. Abraham says, please, please, don't be angry, Lord. Abraham pleaded, but let me speak again. Suppose there are only 30 righteous people are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. And then Abraham said, since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak but one more time. Suppose there are only 10 found in Sodom. Now, some of you don't know this, but God requires the number of 10 for a house of worship. The prophet Zechariah says this, that there will be 10 representatives from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation in heaven. Think about that. Of all the peoples on earth, they will all be represented by at least 10 before Jesus Christ comes again. So were there 10, just 10, were there enough people to have a synagogue, a meeting for God? God says, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way and Abraham returned to his tent. And let me tell you something, and God brought hell, fire and brimstone down on Sodom because there weren't even 10. Here's the truth, there wasn't even one.
0: Okay, so he's gonna shift on points here. So a couple things, one, it is interesting. That he brings up, uh, that he brought up a while back about the, you know, what the Hebrew word for filth was. That was interesting from context. Um, also, the uh, the contextual uh, thing as far as ten for a synagogue. Though I would say, like I've read that before as well uh, in different places in Scripture. Here, the question that really arises is, though that's accurate, right? It seems to be reading uh, truth back into history because at that point there aren't going to be synagogues. Um, There's not going to be a temple yet. There's not going to be even a tent yet uh, to meet with the Lord. This is Abraham uh, before all of this happens, before his sons. Um, So while we can read that back into history, back onto Abraham, um, I don't know if necessarily that's applicable here, even though it is true later. So anyway, it's just an interesting, interesting idea there. So he's about to switch up now. Uh, but what I want us to see is up to this point, reading through the scripture, there's two things that's happened. One, it's been all about us, uh, especially like in the beginning of the reading here. Uh, and two, we we skipped over some, some pretty important parts in scripture there. And I don't know if that's because he didn't want to address those issues. Um, I would say probably because he didn't want to address the issues that happened in Sodom. Um, because, again, we'd have to go into the deeper the deeper truths of what the text is showing us here. I'm not saying he's scared to do that or he's incapable of doing that, but it's clear that he's avoiding that in order to talk about the Enneagram number nine and forcing that onto the text. There's a lot in Genesis chapter 18, this section that we read that we can read from that we actually have clarity about because of some of the new Testament uh, about Abraham's faithfulness. We could talk about that. We could talk about God's righteousness and holiness. We could talk about how truly dark sin is and how far it takes us from God. We're not going to touch on any of those things though. Um, what I do want to see for the rest of this time, which we've still got a good 35 minutes in the sermon review, let's see what we now go on to. So we've got into three, you know, we've read the text, we've talked about it, we're aware of it. Let's see what we do with it now, right? So I know I've already pointed out all the things we haven't done with it, all the things we could have done with it. But there's going to be times where you're going to note all of those things and go, okay, well, this is sort of problematic. And then you're going to go, okay, well, let's wait. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's see what they do with the rest of the sermon. Now that we've read the text because we know what our foundational text is now. Genesis chapter 18, specifically the story where uh, uh, Abraham talks to God. And Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. So let's see where we go from here. And let me just stop today. If you feel far from God today, I want you to look at your friends.
1: I want you to look at your family. Some of you are living in Sodom. Some of you are camping in Gomorrah today. And the reason you think there's no God, the reason you think there's no good is because everybody around you is evil. Would you change your life today? Nothing corrupts good character like bad company. Would you just change your company? Would you just change your direction? Would you just change your life today? Because let me tell you something, I don't care where you live, there's somebody who loves Jesus nearby. Even if you're watching from Sandals anywhere, would you connect with us? We care about you, we love you. I don't know what's happening to your life, I don't know what's going on with you, but
0: God wants to change your direction. Man, I was at the gym this week, nothing about so everyone around you is evil but nothing about you being evil nothing about jesus changing your life he says you should change your life though he does say there's probably somebody around you that knows jesus talk to them but there is nothing about jesus transforming your life there's nothing about you being sinful and needing to turn from your ways just saying that's interesting wording and that's something we should listen for in sermons Especially when we cover and read a text like Genesis 18 that's heavy. Like there's a lot there that's heavy. It seems like it would be a good point to bring in justification, righteousness, tie in how Jesus can change our lives. Let's keep going. Let's, let's talk about the gym. I was working out and we, you know, every gym has like the
1: buffest guy. It's not me, it's not me. I'm not even the buffest gal at my gym. (laughs) But there's this guy and he's just gigantic. And and I know him because he just stands out everywhere he goes. He is massive. And I I ran into him a, a couple of months ago at one of our campuses. And so now I know he goes to church occasionally. I said, hey man, how you doing? And I could just tell by his face that things weren't okay. And I just said, can I pray for you? That's exactly how he said, Can can I pray for you? He said, yes, pastor, please pray for me. He said, I need wisdom. Let me tell you something, peacemakers, that's what you bring to people's lives, wisdom. God has given you his supernatural wisdom. And what my tall friend, my gigantic friend needs is a Christian who's a nine, who can see where they are and see where he needs to
0: go. All right, so time out. I'm just throwing this out here. I know it sounds like I don't like Matt or I don't like the form of Matt's preaching. I don't know anything about Matt. I'm going to give him the benefit of doubt and say that he loves Jesus, that he's qualified to lead a church. I'm going to give him the benefit of doubt. I don't know. i would never heard of Sandals before a week ago. What your friend needs isn't a nine. What they need is a believer that loves Jesus that is living out the life change of Jesus that the Spirit is doing in their life, living that out in front of them, praying for them, being there for them, being the hands and feet of Christ in their life. They don't need a nine, right? They need a transformed individual uniquely gifted and designed by God and placed in their life. You may not even know you're there for them. God has put you there for a reason. It just, it frustrates me when we read things onto the text. When we ignore what the text has clearly said and what the author is trying to pull out and demonstrate, and we, we just ignore that and read on what we want to read on to it. We've only got 30 minutes left in this sermon review. What you're going to hear for the rest of the sermon review, and what I want you to listen for is how many times we mention the number nine versus how many times we reference Scripture or life change in Christ. Just note that. We have 30 minutes left. I can't promise you I'm not going to interrupt a whole bunch because I do. And that's the whole point of these sermon reviews is to kind of show you how my brain is working as I'm listening here. But listen for that. How many times we mentioned the number nine versus how many times we actually mentioned scripture, repentance, life change in Jesus, any of those things.
1: You see, many of you are asking for God's wisdom, and listen to me, for those of you who hate community group, who don't wanna get in small group, the way God's gonna speak to you is through another person who has his wisdom, and that's the peacemaker. The peacemaker reflects God's peace, God's peace. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God, listen to this, the peace of God which surpasses
0: all understanding now, this is a real quick pause. This is only going to apply for you guys that are like, they're watching. I mean, now that you're listening, I'm going to explain it to you. But if you're watching, you want to see the translations that they're using if they put them up on the screen. Not because one translation is necessarily better than another, but because when a pastor like just goes back and forth between a variety of translations. If you didn't catch it, the first one was an NLT. This verse that he's using now is an ESV. The reason that's important is because what they're doing is they're picking a translation that that sort of leans to or says what they want it to say to make their point normally not always but that seems to be a theme if you're skipping a bunch of different translations you're doing so because a particular translation says the thing in the way you want it to say the thing oftentimes this happens when they use the message or the passion translation Those are the biggest culprits is they'll use those because the wording is worded in such a way that they're easily able to be twisted to say what the pastor wants them to say. I'm not saying that's what he's doing here. I'm just saying that that's what you need to pay attention to if you notice a bunch of different translations being used. There's usually a reason for that. We'll guard your hearts
1: and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, some of you keep praying for peace on earth. What you need to pray for is the peace of God. The peace of God, and that's what the nine has. The nine brings peace to our relationships, to our friendships, to our families, to our churches. And that's why we need these people. We need these people who want peace. Abraham wanted to negotiate peace between God and Sodom and Gomorrah, between the most holy and the most awful. And that's what nines can do. And let me just say this. Do we need some more nines in our culture today? We got everybody on the left ready to fight. We got everybody on the right ready to fight. And let me tell you something, nines, we need you to speak up. We need you to speak up because the left is not always wrong and the right is not always right. Neither of them stand for Jesus. And what we need is to say, hey guys, let's work together so we can actually make a difference. The motivation of the nine is to be at peace. But here's the thing, to avoid conflict and to create healthy spaces for people to thrive. Okay, nines want the world to be a a perpetual coffee shop. We're just all chilling, we're caffeinated, but relaxed. (laughs) I haven't figured out how to pull that off yet. But that's what they want the world to be, like where we all come together and we just kind of kumbaya together. And that's, that's what they bring. When healthy, nines, the peacemakers, listen to this, they can see multiple sides to any given decision or scenario. That's what Abraham's doing, God. They can't all be bad.
0: There's got to be a couple good apples in the... Okay, so a couple things here that I think are worthy of pointing out. One, and I'm assuming this has been done in the rest of the series. I don't know because I haven't watched them. But it, it, it seems to be pointing out, like, you know, if you're a peacemaker, you're automatically a nine, or if you're a nine, you're automatically a peacemaker. which is really boxing people's personalities into a box. And I'm sure anybody that knows about the Enneagram more than I do would be like, no, it's not. Well, that's what he's making it seem like. Secondly, he's forcing this silly Enneagram number on Abraham in order to, and, and in doing so, is making Abraham seem as if he's doing something that he's not actually doing. So he's saying that Abraham is trying to negotiate peace with God and saying, is there, is there at least 50? Abraham knows about Sodom and Gomorrah. He knows there's not 50. We see that with his rest of his dialogue with God. He, he knows there's not 10, which is why he goes back into his tent. As far as we can tell from the text, after Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed, he, is, he assumes Lot's dead. There's, there's nothing to indicate any different. God doesn't tell him Lot gets out of the city. There's this idea that Abraham is going to be able to change Lot, or Abraham's going to be able to change God's mind on destroying the city. It's not the point of the story. The point of the the narrative is to show that God is holy. He's going to deal with evil. And him and Abraham have a covenant of sorts. And that Abraham has this care for Lot that he sent, or that Lot's chosen to go into the city. And now he's he's saying, yeah, but Lot's there. Don't destroy Lot too, is essentially what he's saying without saying it. So there's a lot of moving pieces here, but it's not Abraham being like, hey God, please don't destroy the city. Abraham is fully aware Culturally, it would be almost impossible for him not to be aware of what Sodom and Gomorrah is known for. And when we force something onto the text like that, not only only do we not understand the text as we need to, we actually make it say something it doesn't say, which is problematic in a lot of different ways that we don't have time to get into. The bunch of rotten ones?
1: and they look for the good in others. And here's the reason why some of you need nines in your life because some of you can't see anything good in you. And the nine can go, there it is, there it is right there. And they can bring out the best in you because some of us are blind to the good that God's put in us. But nines, they can see it and they can negotiate between two friends or two family members or a husband and a wife who no longer want to, to live together or between brothers and sisters that no longer speak. Nines are gifted by God at creating peace between people. Listen to me, especially if you're a one. I love you, God loves you. Go all the way back eight weeks ago to listen to that sermon, but isn't it interesting that God hitched the apostle Paul as he began to heal, as he began to grow, as he began to learn with Barnabas, who is a nine. His name means peacemaker. And if you're high one, you need to strap yourself to a high nine, because you got no chill and you need to learn to chill. But listen to this, peacemakers are inclusive, patient and accepting of others. That's why we need you in the church. You see, part of the reason the church doesn't grow is because we constantly look for reasons
0: to exclude people. Peacemakers, you look for reasons to include. Okay, so this is an interesting take from a pastor. that the reason the church doesn't grow is because we don't we look we look for reasons to exclude people. That's what he's saying, which is is I've heard a similar take from people that aren't in pastoral positions, but it's interesting that a pastor would say this. The reason it's interesting is because I would assume that someone in a leadership position, an eldership, a pastoral position, is going to understand that like. There's passages such as Timothy, the second chapter of Timothy, which actually lays out how the church body is to work together as far as older believers uh, teaching younger believers and older men teaching younger men and older women teaching younger women and the pastor and elders over all of them uh, teaching the older people so that those older people can disciple the younger ones. And then that way they're, they're making sure that those that are teaching the younger generation actually have sound doctrine And there's this flow of knowledge that would naturally come down from older generations to younger generations. And then that is just reciprocated along with the fact that like the church grows through multiplication, right? So the great commission, we see churches being planted. We see the teachings of the apostles being taught the teachings of the apostles being the teachings of Jesus. Like there's multiple ways that we have set up in scripture of how the church grows and I, I don't know what he means as we look for ways to exclude, but I, I can probably guess a handful in my head of what he might be indicating toward. And I don't want to assume things, but what we're looking for is like there's a difference between excluding versus holding sound doctrine. And it's a lot more complicated than simply saying excluding versus including. Like there's a lot there. A lot there that coincidentally, if we would have really fleshed out Genesis 18 as far as God's holiness versus our sin, we could have talked through some of those things. But we didn't do that. So let's keep going. Again, keeping up your count of how many times nine is mentioned versus how many times Scripture, God, Jesus, righteousness, any of those things. To include, you come to Sandals Church, and like, oh man, this is cool, there's a lot of people in here. Most
1: people are like, oh, somebody's sitting in my seat. <laughs> Can we just be honest? Most of us don't want the church to grow because you don't care about God's heart. You just want God to care about your heart, and he does, but he also cares about your neighbor's heart. Yeah. And your neighbor's heart needs their butt in church. And what that means is we need to make room for them. And that's what nines do. Nines are willing to give up their seat. Nines are willing to give up their preference. Nines willing to give up their position, their power, their prestige to make room for others. You see, nines are great at fitting in. Nines love being a part of something bigger than themselves, and that's beautiful. Peacemakers are good listeners, man. Good listeners. Somebody told me a couple months ago, you're such a great listener, and I just started laughing. You know, I had to work at it. I had to work at it. Like when you're talking, I just have to just, I can't even breathe. I just have to listen to what you're saying. Cause I know what we both need is to hear my thoughts. That's not what we both need. I can't tell you how many fights early on were me solving Tammy's problem halfway through her complaining. I didn't even let her get to the period. she's like, ah, it's a comma. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. But peacemakers are naturally good listeners. We have this pastor on staff. His pastor's name is Pastor Dan Crowley. We call him our, our Yoda. And when I talk to him, he's just always like, hmm, yes, hmm, yes, hmm. Like, if you just want to feel good, go talk to a nine. You can have the dumbest idea. They're like, hmm, I can see some truth in that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you go talk to an eight, they're like, that's dumb, stop talking. Right? The ones are like, here's all the ways you're wrong. The eight, the nine's like, I feel you. Hmm, let's go have coffee. Yeah. (laughs) But peacemakers, listen to me, are considerate of the perspective of others. You see, one of the things that we're learning in society is we have different perspectives. This is
0: why all my- Okay, so this is interesting. Again, this is where, what he's about to get in here about different perspectives. This is why it's important. This is one of the reasons why it would be important and why I'm listening for scripture to be preached that to be our foundation and anchor like that to be what we like latch onto. Because if that's not the, 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 our our foundation or our anchor, or like what we're like having our Bibles open in our lap, like reading, it's super easy. And that's what's happening now. I think it's really easy to then go off into like, philosophy land like tweetable moment land where like this idea sounds good but it's not connected to scripture we i mean there's there's plenty of scripture that talks about your idea just open to that scripture make that connection but when we don't do that we're going to grab at something because we're we're not grounded on anything so listen to what he says about perspectives here and then we'll stop it and talk about it my enneagram haters i
1: love you but the enneagram is so important because it helps you to see people see things from a different perspective and we need to learn that not everybody sees things the same way we do and so many of us right here's what the world is doing the world is constantly boxing us into categories based upon gender sexuality and ethnicity And we need to say, okay, maybe this person has a different perspective. You guys remember during the George Floyd riots, when black people legitimately so, were were just so upset over what had happened, and we all should have been upset. But I remember we had a single mom in our church. She emailed me, she's a black mama. And somebody's saying, oh, I know where that email's gonna go. No, you don't, because you see her son's a police officer. You see, her perspective is different from her gender. It's different from her race because she cared about her son and she was worried about his safety. And we need to learn to see other people's perspectives and nines just naturally make room for that. The rest of us, we box people in and we think we know what they're gonna say before they say it. And some of you are judging people before the words come out of their mouth. And nines give us the freedom to speak.
0: Okay, so the interesting thing there is what he said was it was something that I think is helpful for us all to realize, right? Because sometimes we do. Sometimes we get very like into our own heads and assume that everybody thinks the same way we do. However, what he's saying here isn't going like it's it's – it's almost there, but it's not there. So what I'm what I'm waiting to hear, in a church, not a TED talk, is that okay? So everybody sees things differently. People are coming from different uh, life experiences. They're coming from different backgrounds. They're coming from different, all sorts of different things that maybe we're not coming from. What's the unifier then? Like what's over all of those? perspectives and life experiences and backgrounds and like is what's the uniter here then? Well it's Christ. It's this beauty of the church coming together made up of different ethnicities and gender and economic backgrounds and different places in the world and different political mindsets and different passions and different ideas all submitting that to the authority and oversight of Christ. That's the beauty of it. It's it's not an army of nines that are going to come in and fix that. It's the truth of Scripture being taught, that Christ is overall, that as believers, we come in and we submit to what God has said despite what we think or the perspective we bring we say we submit this to Christ and as a body of believers that is likely going to approach situations different because of where we come from we submit that to Christ we humbly come together as a family and say i understand that you're coming from a different perspective and i'm coming different from a different perspective and we may be both very passionate about this side. But at the end, the goal for us as brothers and sisters in Christ is to say, I'm going to put that on the back burner and I'm we're, we're both going to do that. And we're both going to go to the word and we're both going to see what the word says. And that's not going to be simple and it's going to be really messy, but it's sanctifying for both of us. It, it's making us both more like Christ in our humility, and in our suffering, and in all of that mess. And it makes the church unique because the world can't do that. We can do that because we're submitted, both of us, from all of our our variety of backgrounds, we're submitted under the kingship of Christ. It's His kingdom we care about. And though we may be passionate in pursuing all of these different things, I don't need and Enneagram 9, to talk me into it. I need my heart and my mind changed by the indwelling and working of the Holy Spirit because of my allegiance to Jesus Christ. And when we do that, the church looks distinctively different from the world. And we haven't heard that. We haven't heard that at all. Nines
1: learn to listen. They know when something's wrong. Think about that concert this week where everybody died. People were shouting, people weren't okay. There are thousands upon thousands of people and no one was listening. You see, when people don't listen, people die. We need to learn to listen and that's why we need nines. Peacemakers desire to see the world as a more peaceful place, amen, good God. Do we need any more conflict? My gosh. I think we need to have a new holiday. It's just called chill month. <laughs> the White House does nothing, amen, <laughs> nothing. We just, we don't make a decision. We just, we just chill. Wouldn't that be nice? If we elect a nine into the Oval Office, we'll get that. They'll just chill for four years. They're, this is going to be their platform. You're going to forget I'm president. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Who's president? Mm, there are nine. Here's the thing, nines, I love you, but when you're unhealthy, peacemakers avoid conflict at all costs. And you say, well, that's a good thing, right? No, 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 because some things are worth fighting for. Some things are worth fighting for.
0: All right, so we're going to stop it there. Just to give you a count on how many times he said nine versus Jesus, scripture, God, we've said nine, a total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 times. And we've said Jesus twice, and they were both in scripture references that he brought up. That alone should tell us what our base, what our topic, what our message is about. Again, I don't know who this guy is. I don't have a clue. Maybe he, outside of preaching on the enneagram, he's a great preacher. I don't know. Given this particular sermon or this particular type of sermon, regardless if it's Matt or somebody else preaching it, this is this is bad. This is bad. You can watch the rest of it if you click the link in the description below. I would encourage you to do that just to to see as far as context goes for the whole sermon that I'm not nitpicking. Um, just, you can keep counting if you'd like the time, number of times he mentions nine versus scripture. This is what happens though, at any church or any sermon in which you use a text of the scripture as a jumping board into a topic rather than scripture as the foundation for everything you're going to build upon. There was a lot of opportunity here within the first 15, maybe 10 minutes of this sermon to talk about who God is, how he demonstrates himself to us, what his characteristics are, what covenant looks like between God and Abraham, what depravity and sin and just the darkness that brings when we could have talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of like really deep things he could have got into here. And then he could have brought in the righteousness of Christ. Could have brought forth that hope we have in Christ that God is holy, but he's also gracious and he's merciful. And this this story of Abraham fits into a larger story of God making a covenant with Abraham and that covenant bringing forth the Messiah, that being Jesus, that lived a perfect life that we could not live, died the death we should have died because of our sin, Because our hearts, whether we admit it or not, are as dark as those that were in Sodom and Gomorrah. We have the capability to do the same things. But Jesus, because it's God's overarching plan, his promise made in the garden, comes and takes our place. So that we can be literally transformed. Like, we're not just better. We're changed. And that change lived out in community with one another. Who cares about a number? It is us discipling each other. It is us living out a Titus 2 type of church where there is mentoring and discipleship naturally happening within the family structure and within the church family structure. Like there's so much there that then brings forth like little pockets of... God's kingdom on this earth now that operate distinctively different than the rest of the world not because we've got everything figured out but because we are being changed. So there may be political division out there but what we're looking for in the church is that the left and the right can say like we're passionately against different things but we're going to submit those things to christ go to the word in prayer both being sanctified to be more like jesus so that the division we see out there isn't the division that's in here we're clearly not there yet but that would have been a bomb sermon that would have been awesome i would encourage you to keep watching this i mean again don't take my word for it just listen to it and kind of see how the text fits in, what our main topic is. Is it God and his glorification, Christ and his changing us? Or is it about a number being forced upon a bunch of different texts? You make the call. The link is in the description. You go watch it. I'll see you guys next week. If you like this, if you found help from this, if you thought it was Um, insightful and maybe somebody else would enjoy this sort of thing because that's how their brain operates make sure you like it share it comment do all the cool things feeds the algorithm and youtube goes oh other people need to see this and it helps us out here so thank you for taking the time watching and listening to this i'll talk to you next week